You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's going on, people? Welcome to Pain Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Network and by the Painter Hoopers family. Today, we are going to get back into our deep dives. Um, back here with Tyler Metcalf. We've, we've obviously done uh, the four positions so far, power, point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward. And today, we're going to finish it off with the centers of the draft, our top five guys. And then uh, we'll give you a sleeper as well. We've we've kind of been doing this for what, two months now, so I think we've kind of timed it pretty well up into draft day since since the draft is in nine, ten days. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this to kind of get this done, and I think it's been really fun. So, what's going on, Tyler? Welcome back to the show. Yeah, man, happy to be back on. Just we're, we're under two weeks away from meaningful things happening in basketball, at least Timberwolves-wise. Um, I'm season starting up in less than two months here it's been a long week happy to talk some draft and just kind of get into it yeah yeah so obviously the the u.s election's been on this week so it's kind of been hard to to think about the nba but there's also the huge news about the nba coming back in december 22nd of december so we're really close now it seemed like when we started this that the the draft would be forever away and that the season wouldn't be starting until Feb or March, so it's it's all coming together really quickly, and, and these rookies that we're talking about, they're going to have a tough time kind of going from from draft day to their first game within 33 days or something, so yeah, it's it's crazy, but but we're happy to have it back. Um, as I said, we're, we're doing the centers of the draft this this week. I think this was pretty straightforward. Like, Did, did you feel the same way that, that it was pretty much the, the top five guys were were pretty much straightforward compared to the rest of the class of this. Did you feel the same way? Yeah, and it's it's just really not a strong big man class at, at all this year. Um, and we got Okongwu and Wiseman at the top who will you know go top five, top ten. Um, but after that, it's kind of a pretty big drop off. And even with some of these guys, you know, we're we're cheating a little and taking power forwards and moving them <laughs> up a spot and. Yeah, and after those top two guys, there's a pretty big drop off, at least in uh, in in their you know projected ceiling of you know how yeah. good can they really be, and there'll, there'll be some rotation guys and impact guys, but you know when when you look back on past years, the the overall depth and star power from this position is pretty lacking this year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think especially with the way. I guess the perception is of big men kind of dying out a little bit, which I don't think is true. But I think Agreed. they need they need to have multiple skills kind of to to really jump off the page as a draftee. I think it, it makes it a lot harder to evaluate these guys because 
a, a, a running theme throughout this, I think, will be can these guys shoot or will these guys be able to shoot at the next level, which is just obviously so important right now. So right. we'll jump we'll jump straight into it. We're both at the same top guy. Um, That's Onyeka Kongwu, uh, USC bid, six foot nine. Six, uh, seven, one or seven, two wingspan, depending on, on where you read it. Uh, elite movement skills, uh, elite bounce for a big man. I think clearly his best attributes come, uh, in the pick and roll at both ends. Offensively, I think he, his ability to set a hard screen, a strong screen, and then pivot out of them at, at high speed and, and really with near perfect technique, uh, is, is what kind of propels his scoring ability. He finishes really, really good with both hands. Um, great bounce off two feet as a, as a rim runner and very good touch around the rim. So I think offensively, he, otherwise, aside from the pigeon roll, he's not really going to kill you on the perimeter. He's not going to kill you with shooting or, or off the dribble game. He He's a very good post player, I think. And he ranked in the 94th percentile nationwide in the post. I think that, again, stems from his strength, the, the good footwork, the ability to flash that that touch with both hands. Um, what do you think of his post game, and how do you think that would translate to an NBA that that really doesn't prioritize posting up anymore? Yes, I I think he can go down on the block and you know kind of abuse mismatches. But and at six nine, um, you know, I he's not going to be doing just straight up post ups a whole lot. Um, yeah. But I mean, he he's a pretty elite interior finisher. I mean, he's got solid touch and he gets off the ground really quick. And he he's one of the elite leapers in this draft. Um, so I I, I think there'll be a lot of him, you know, sliding along the baseline or kind of doing those flash cuts into the paint and then you know faking a move over his right shoulder and finishing over his left. Um, and just kind of a lot of scoring off the move because he is really mobile. Um, you know, the the BAM comp gets thrown out there all the time. Um, and, you know, no one should really be compared to BAM since BAM's a singular talent. But there are similarities with, you know, their size, their mobility, their, um, you know, I don't think Okongwu is, you know, that level of playmaker yet. Um, but he's definitely shown flashes of being able to create out of the high post, um, even run in transition, some excellent rebounder. But yeah, and it, the majority of his scoring is going to come around the rim on offensive putbacks or rolling to the rim hard. Um, if he can expand that jumper out a little bit, you know, kind of just slowly progress away from the rim, and that will open up a ton of things in this game. Um, but I really, despite only being 6'9", I really don't have any concerns about him being able to kind of finish over, around, or through defenders at the rim. He doesn't He doesn't strike you as 6'9", really, no, when you watch him. He, like he plays bigger than that. Yeah, I think there's a few guys. Like, I think um, some guys that I guess we'll talk about later, I, I feel the same way, where they're 6'9". I don't know if that's just a function of being at the at the collegiate level where guys are just inherently a little bit smaller on average, like big men, you know, there's not as many seven footers just just rolling around on every team. But I I think he'll he'll be fine defensively. I think guy you know huge, really good scorers like your your Joel Embiid's and and Nikola Jokic. Like I don't think he's going to 
shut them down, but but who does? You know yeah, what I exactly. mean? Like, no, no, like, no one does. I, I I hate when people are like, use oh well, can he really play the center in, in the NBA? You know, if when he goes up against Embiid, Embiid's just gonna toss him around. It's like who doesn't Embiid toss around? You yeah, know, it's yeah. like the the dude is massive. He's strong. He's a freak athlete. He tosses everybody around. That's not fair. It's like can he, you know, compete against? Wendell Carter, or can he, you know, body up Tristan Thompson? You know, look at that stuff. You know, don't be like, oh well, you know, could could he box out Prime Shaq? No one can do that. So <laughs> let, let, let's let's not focus at the exact extreme, and let's kind of narrow it in into the more realistic. Yeah, and I, and I think what he will do defensively is is beat the, those guys by playing really solid pick-and-roll coverage. And, and in that sense, you don't need to be right. bigger bigger or stronger. You you need to have the positioning. You need to have the smarts to know where to be, how to play in between a guard and a big. And I think, to me, that's what jumped off the off the screen immediately with a Kongu. I mean, I think he'll be able to play in drop coverage where he can, like I said, guard between the, the guard and the big. Um, and then recover to either really quickly and, and communicate really well with his guard partner. I, I really loved that you can see him communicating openly on the court as a freshman, as a guy who's who's leading a USC defense that was really good this season. Um, and then I think he really thrives even more as a a hedge, you know, a hedge coverage guy. Uh, so good at getting out to the guards, stifling them for a second before getting back to the roller and and kind of shutting down an entire pick and roll by himself. Uh, elite foot speed, that allows him to switch and contain in isolations pretty well as well. Like you said, it's not Bam Adebayo, and he's the guy that just constantly gets mentioned with him. But I don't think that... I don't think coaches... Like, with, with Bam, uh, Spolster is kind of letting Bam switch at any time. Like, if Bam wants to switch in a pick and roll and just guard the, the ball handler, they're going to let him do that because they're confident that he can pretty much hold his own against anyone, whereas I don't think you're going to do that with a Tonglu, but when that switch does happen, I don't think you're going to be head in your hands kind of waiting for, for a bucket to inevitably happen because he can guard guys, he can move his feet really well, he's long, he's got great hands. Um, overall, I just think a really versatile defender and then he'll just be a really reliable contributor offensively. Like, I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't love saying, you know, safe pick and... And this guy's going to be safer than that guy because every draft prospect has a flaw and and the right. ceiling. You know, like any any player can be a bust. Any player can can not figure it out at the next level. But but Onyeka is really one of them guys who who has a high floor and who you, even at his worst you can see contributing pretty comfortably to a good team. Yeah, and, and when you talk about him being safe, um, you know, I. I don't view his him being as situation dependent where, you know, I I see his ceiling, I see what he can be and it you know, the the jersey that he's wearing when you know when I picture that doesn't really matter. Whereas, you know, yeah. the next guy we talk about, I, I think his landing spot will really change, you know, how his, you know, development goes. Um, but yeah, and like Okongwu's I I hope that he can improve kinda like his lateral agility on the perimeter um it's there in the pick and roll coverage it's there for like momentary switches i don't think he's a full-time switch yet um hopefully he gets there because if he does i you know then, then he's I, a ridiculous I, I, defender I, I think he's you know he could easily be all nba defensive you know talent 
eventually. The fact that he didn't win Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year is absurd, but that's a whole other discussion about people actually watching the Pac-12. I don't even think he was on one of the Pac-12 defensive teams, Yeah, Yeah. which Uh, is uh, just unbelievable because every time I watched any Pac-12 game, I don't think I could name a a guy who was was a better defender than than a Congo. Yep, you would be correct. Um, But yeah, and... he, he won't be able to switch full-time, but late switches or, you know, hedging and switching until guy can recover. Um, he's smart enough. He's athletic enough to do that. So I, I just love the, the defensive impact he'll make immediately. Yeah, and we're kind of bringing it back to the Timberwolves. I think that um, the switching or the, the ability to play in hedge coverage or blitz coverage is, is what intrigues me about him on the Timberwolves, but also kind of makes me think that he's not a great fit because I'm I'm pretty sure they're not going to change the defensive philosophy. The philosophy. I think they're going to try and stick with that drop coverage. They're going to try and mould Towns to become at least league average as a drop defender. And while I think Atongu would be a fine drop defender and a really good weak side defender if they're, if they're playing him at the four next to Towns as someone who can, who can cover some of those mistakes, I don't think any of those skills are maximized unless you're playing the hedge coverage and getting letting a Conwood get out and kind of uh, yeah stifle a guard until D'Angelo Russell can get back around that screen or or even if he's playing the four and you're playing a hedge coverage and you're getting Towns up to, to move his feet on the perimeter a little bit, then, then he really has that space behind Towns to be a rotation defender and to be a weak side stopper. So yeah. I, that that's kind of why I don't love the fit with the Timberwolves just because I think while he would still be really good and I think he would still make the Timberwolves defense better just inherently because it's so bad right now and, and I do believe he'll be a good defender. I just think he's not... That's one of the, the few spots where I see him not getting optimized at all and and that's not what you want, especially if you're going to trade down and take him at, at four or five or six or seven. Like it's You, you really want to maximize a guy like that and I, I don't think that uh, Minnesota w- w- would be that place, despite me thinking that that he's a really good defender. And, and if they did take him, I still do think that he'd add to the team. But I think you need to you need to somewhat plan around him, not to the point where it's like a Lamelo ball where you need to kind of change your entire system to to make sure that this guy really thrives. But I think if you if you're not optimizing a Kongwu's defense at all you're selling him a little bit short yeah i mean i i have okongwu at three overall um and i in theory i really like the idea of pairing him next to to towns yeah i think i think it's definitely more like that like in theory the on paper it it makes perfect sense but when you really start to to dig into the system a little bit it it kind of hurts his his stock a little bit with the timberwolves yeah, and just like when you actually think about in practice, you know, having Towns, you know, he can barely get through a possession in their current defensive system. So asking him to learn yet another new system in another year, which yeah. seems to be a yearly thing for him. It's like a little consistency goes a long way, but that God, just thinking of, you know, teams inevitably targeting the town or putting towns and russell in a pick and roll that they'll you know likely be able to easily exploit and then having okongwu as that backline weak side defender just protecting the rim and roaming back there is a lot of fun to think about and you know i I think you would cover up a lot of mistakes um and you know but 
Minnesota's not going to play two bigs. They're just not yeah. going to do it. So I'm, it's fun to think about. It's fun to imagine. It's fun to like, you know, it, it, it's a fun thought exercise. But it just it, in reality, I would be utterly stunned if if Minnesota took, you know, really almost any of these guys we're talking about today. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that ties into the next guy, which is James Wiseman. And obviously the news is, has come out with Wiseman that he hasn't been taking interviews with Minnesota, doesn't really want anything to do with Minnesota just because he knows that, that, that they're not going to play too big and he doesn't know how to play with Carl Anthony Towns. And, and I think that would probably apply to Congo as well just because I don't think they're genuinely looking at a big to draft. So like if they are going to play two bigs or they're going to test it a little bit throughout the season, it's going to be with with a backup big or with a, you know, a guy who can just fill in a few minutes here and there at $5 million a year or something like that. So, um, yeah. So the next guy is Wiseman. Perhaps controversial that, that Wiseman is in the top center on both of our lists, but to me it's pretty obvious. And to be honest, I think he's actually closer to the third guy to me than he is to the first. Uh, but well, the, okay. you, you go, what, what do you like about Wiseman? What don't you like about him? And, and we'll go from there. Okay, yeah, so I, I have him eight overall, my second center. Um, I, I, you know, if he, if he ends up going to Golden State, you know, I may, you know, retroactively have him, you know, at third, fourth, fifth in that range. But, you know, if he goes to Charlotte, it's like, yeah, okay, maybe we're going to drop him down to 15 to 20. <laughs> um you know, I, I, I think he, I, and his, he's a freak athlete at, at seven yeah. one. He is an absolute freak athlete. Um, I don't love his lower body strength. So, you know, when people talk about Okongwu getting pushed around at six nine, Wiseman's going to get pushed around just the same because he doesn't have, have that base to really hold up. And, you know, we, we saw that a lot with Towns early in his career. Um, but I, I, I think he's a, a good finisher around the rim. Um, I think he has he, the potential to be a versatile defender. Um, his kind of defensive discipline goes in and out, and he, he likes to chase blocks a lot. Um, but, and you know, he, he'll, he'll have these weird mid-range turnaround fadeaway jumpers instead of just taking a power dribble and finishing over a point guard who rotated over to him. Um, so like that stuff's frustrating when he tries to play like he's six five when he's seven one. Um but again, you know, if he goes to Golden State and he's running that pick and roll and, you know, they'll allow him to step out a little more and it'll would likely be a little more fluid, you know, that I, I think that's a really different outlook on his development. Um, but I, I do think that he has the potential to be that rim protector um that, you know, teams covet. I think that he will eventually be able to kind of step out and knock down jumpers um, more reliably than he is now. Um, but I, we've seen this guy play 70 minutes of competitive basketball in the yeah. last year. so And know. most of them weren't even really competitive basketball, like outside yeah, of Oregon. They, yeah, and they Oregon even, it wasn't even good minutes, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so I, I still have him at eight. I know, I know draft Twitter just hates him at this point they either have him at one through three or you know in the 20s so i get the concerns i don't love his lower body strength there are definitely weaknesses there but if he goes to a team with like an established core and 
proven development system, I, I like him a lot more than if he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm kind of in between in between what you said. Like I have him at twelve, I think. So it's I could I could easily like I I have him in that tier where it's kind of around like eight to fourteen, and, and anywhere in there, I could see him. Yeah, I'd have no problem with him going in that range, and obviously he he will go higher. Like I'd be very surprised at this point if he doesn't go in the top four. Just because that seems to be, you know, the buzz seems to be around him, Lamelo, and Ant. But yeah, there's probably, you know, there's a chance that someone takes a, a swing on like a Denny or a um, a Toro or someone like that, and he dr- drops the four. But I don't think he'll, he'll fall very far. I, I pretty much completely agree with what you said. I mean, it's the obvious is the seven one size, seven six wingspan. I mean, he runs the floor like a gazelle. Uh, even with yeah. his skill level, I think, a, a little bit lacking compared to some of the other bigs in this class, that's still a huge advantage over many bigs in the league, let alone in the class. And um, with that physical profile alone, I, I think he'll have no problem as a role man, uh, as a trailer in transition. He'll, he'll get on the offensive glass and get putbacks and on the on the defensive glass, start, start in breaks and stuff for his team. I think for those things to really pop, though, the one thing I noticed, and I know that PD Webb wrote about it a little bit, and that kind of confirmed it with me, just because he's a guy that I really trust and I really admire as a as a draft analyst, is um, that he needs to improve his hands and he's catching a yeah. lot. I think he drops a lot of easy passes and lobs, um, especially you know when he's jumping over guys who are six foot seven. Like he's got he's got almost a whole foot on them sometimes when he when he's jumping up to get the get the ball and he drops it and. Uh, I, I just think that's probably a little bit of a function of not playing a lot of professional basketball and not playing, you know, with a with a lot of against a lot of teams who are probably better better than you know the high school teams and stuff that that he played and dominated against. But I think he needs to get stronger hands. He needs to be able to catch those lobs, catch those rolls, especially you know you get you get those bullet pocket passes in the NBA that kind of come through on pick and rolls. Like you can't afford to be dropping. One in every five of those, like you need, right. you need a bit, you need to be able to grasp every single one of those to, to be a really good uh, rim running pick and roll big. And then the other thing I think to, to maximize his offensive stealing is to, to become just a slightly better ball handler or, or kind of outlet passer, and that'll really mm-hmm. maximize the the defensive rebounding because he's gonna get rebounds. Like he's he's just a huge yeah. dude, and yeah. he, he gets off the floor so easily. So he's gonna get boards if he can put the ball on the on the floor and take three, four dribbles and get himself out of trouble and, and get the ball moving up the court or or even just, you know, turn around and make that outlet pass to someone at, at half court or something. He, he can really be uh, an asset for a team who wants to play fast. And I think that might be some of the concern with him is that because he's so big, he, he hasn't proven to be a good shooter. Uh, he doesn't really, you know, handle the ball at all, um, that he might not be able to do much in a fast-paced team, a team that doesn't like to get bogged down in the half court. But but I think those two things really would help there. And then defensively, I, I pretty much have the same concerns as you. Like I think he'll he'll block shots. He's yeah, he he's will. too he's too agile and too big not to block shots. Uh, I do worry a bit about the lower body strength, like you said, uh, his positioning and he, and his pick and roll IQ. Right now, I think he, he's fairly unpolished in, in the pick and roll, and someone who uses his size. I guess as a as a reactive tool rather than a proactive tool, he kind of uses it to recover and to to get himself out of trouble rather than using it to to shut that that trouble down before it even starts. And 
that's something that comes with experience. That's something that mm-hmm. that you can you can put on a guy who's played seventy minutes of college basketball. So as I th- as he gets into an NBA system, gets NBA reps, and, and like I said, he's he's gonna be a top pick. So he's gonna be starting for whoever he goes to. He's gonna get pick and roll minutes night in night out, and especially if early on it, it proves that he is a bit iffy in the pick and roll, then then. He's going to get even more pick and roll minutes because teams are going to going to try and exploit him there. But but I think if, if he kind of sorts a few of them things out, then that that elite defensive ceiling that many have pegged him to have, I think it could be there. Yeah, yeah, and, and he's going to get thrown into the fire, you know, right away. He's going to be expected to be that that rim protector, that defensive linchpin, um, and I'm not sure he can do that right now. Um, and it's and there, there, there's going to be a lot of, you know, Hassan Whiteside to his defense early in his career, I think, where, you know, it, it, there'll be games where he probably gets six or seven blocks and you're like, holy shit, like this dude is dominating. Yeah. And then and then it's like you actually watch the game and it's like, okay, well, you chased eight more and just completely whiffed and your guy got a easy dunk because you were, you know, flying into the first row after after of subtle shot fake. Um, so, you know, and so it go, it goes back to that. If he lands in golden state and, you know, Draymond green is there teaching him and Steve Kerr is teaching him and Clay Thompson is teaching him how to play defense. And he's learning from those guys. Then I trust that that defensive development is going to be fast tracked and he'll be, you know, he'll be reaching that defensive potential, you know, sooner rather than later. You know, if, if he goes to, you know, sorry to keep ripping on Charlotte here, but a team like Charlotte who doesn't have, you know, any of those proven high level defenders who know what they're doing at a high level, I I think it's gonna be more Hassan Whiteside than, you know, DeAndre Jordan. So I it's just frustrating that the only minutes or tape we've gotten from him is seventy minutes of non competitive college basketball from almost a year ago. Because we have we have no idea where he's at, what he's learned. Um, so I don't know if he's just bulking up in the upper body, getting ripped in the gym, or if he's actually, you know, studying tape and actually improving on what he needs to. Because the athleticism isn't really anything I'm worried about. So if, if he can sharpen up his, you know, pick and roll IQ, his weak side recognition, and not get locked in to his guy when, you know, the guy's cutting right past him, you know that that'll, that'll make a big difference. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I think that overall, you can probably bet on him. Just I, I wouldn't be surprised if Wiseman won Rookie of the Year, just because I think he's going to get numbers. I think I, I won't yeah. be surprised even on a bad team that that doesn't maximize his his future potential or, or kind of foster a lot of growth, like a Charlotte or, or even a Minnesota. Uh, I think he'd still get like fifteen and ten with with two blocks a night in his first season and everyone's going to yeah. probably think that he's the second coming of, of David Robinson uh, when that happens. But but like you said, uh, I think the Hassan Whiteside comparisons are apt and I think what can separate him from that is how hard he works and how yeah. much he wants to get better. Because the, the problem with Hassan Whiteside is that he's never seemed to care about getting better or, or to become this lockdown defender and, and yeah, use no. the the tools that he has to be anything more than a guy who, who yeah, can block eight shots in one night and also give up another 10 himself. So if he if he can 
separate himself from from the white side comparisons mentally. Uh, I think he's on the right track to be a really good player. I still, like we said, with all of these guys, like he's not a fit in Minnesota. Really, he's nope. He's t- apparently, he's been saying that himself to to teams and, and whatnot. So yeah, um, that that was just an example of you know. Oh no! I'm breaking up with you. You're not breaking up with me, type thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's like Minnesota was never considering you, bud. Like it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, um, it's 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 one of them things where every year you kind of hear teams, you know, you hit someone, you hear someone say like, I don't want to play for this team, or or these guys don't don't tell these guys not to pick me. Or it's kind of like you know, if right. they pick you, you're just gonna be happy with it. Like you're gonna get right. eight million eight million dollars a year or something to to play basketball when you haven't when you've got three games of college film. So. Um, yeah. Take that and be pretty happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so the next guy, um, I don't know if this is your next guy. I can't remember your exact order, but uh, for me, it's, it's Xavier Tillman. Um, I think he's the quintessential kind of no-frills, hard-working, older prospect. Uh, um, he's one that's easily one of my favourites in this class. Uh, he's undersized at six foot eight. Again, like a Conwu, it doesn't seem to me that he's six foot eight. Like he, he's he doesn't seem to play small at all. He's got seven one wingspan. He he makes up for that lack of size with that old man at the Y kind of rip a phone book in half type strength. Um, elite positioning, elite smarts, the ability to do all the little things that that you want a big to do to a high level, and and that really appeals to me. I, I'm a sucker for for those kind of under the radar hardworking guys who don't uh, he's not gonna, he doesn't catch lobs he doesn't you know swat shots at the rim like a conjurer or wise when are known for but he he excels at setting perfect screens probably the best screen setter in the class for me um, probably the best short roll passer in the class uh, finishing with touch and still around the rim I, I just think like he's just so good at those little things uh, together with you know Michigan State teammate Cassius Winston, I think they formed the, the most deadly pick-and-roll partnership in the entire country last season. Um, there's no flash to Tillman's game, but, but he's just undoubtedly, to me, one of those guys who's going to turn up and be a productive contributor from, from day one, uh, doing the little things offensively, providing toughness, smarts, you know, a willingness to get down and dirty defensively. And he was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year last season. Uh, I, I just... I love Tillman. I honestly love just watching. I love watching him. He's just, I'm a sucker for those kind of players. I think the question again with him is is going to be can he shoot, and and that'll really raise his his ceiling more than just a, a high level role player to a guy who who maybe could be the the fourth best player on a team or the, or the third best player on a team like offensively. He's, he attempted 77 threes throughout three years at Michi- at Michigan State. Shot fifty this year, but he only made twenty seven point three of them and rank, ranked in the ninth percentile yeah, as a catch and shoot player. Yeah, so the stroke doesn't look horrible, but like it's quite slow. The wrist action's a bit strange. Um, I'd wager that he's probably never going to be a guy who commands like the defense's attention from deep. But I do think in time he might be a guy, be a guy who can knock down a three or two a game, like. You know, Robin Lopez was hitting threes this year, so <laughs> um, anything can happen. And and if it does, I think he add that adds like true on the surface substance to all the amazing and intangibles that he has kind of bubbling beneath the surface. 
Yeah, and the, the the biggest thing with him is, I mean, he's he's just gonna do the the dirty things, I and mean, he's gonna do the little things that contribute to winning basketball. Um, so I I have him fourth on my list, thirty fifth overall. Um, I like him. I I'm just a little lower on him because I just don't see a ton of upside. So like some of yeah. these younger guys who I who I see having more potential to grow into. And I, I think that's Tillman. the thing. I, I think that's the thing with him is that that. There's a lot of guys who, if you're going to take a swing for potential, you take right. them over Tillman. But if you're a playoff team and you can't, if you're 100%. if you're Boston, if you're Boston, who I just think is the perfect scenario for him, like like if you're Boston, I think you take him and you put him straight into your lineup. You him and uh, Tice can can pretty much split minutes and you don't lose a thing at the center position. I think that's the kind of player you're looking at. You're not looking at a guy who who's ever going to get really good or, or has 50% extra to grow into. Like, he might have 10% extra to grow into, but what he is right now is, is a good player. Yeah, yeah. And, and if, if you're someone who, uh, you know, appreciates the little things and loves watching for the nuances throughout a game, uh, and he, he's the, you, you know, the poster boy for guys you want to you wanna watch tape on, um, I hit his basketball IQ is just through the roof and his leadership is just evident and it's just something that will effortlessly and immediately um translate to the nba um i he's he's a really impressive passer you know not necessarily a playmaker he's not going to be bam or Jokic or anything like that but just like as a ball mover um he's really good at finding you know passing out of the short roll or making that extra pass on the perimeter to the shooter in the corner or finding the cutter just little plays like that that's, you know, the hockey assist. He'll have a million of those. Um, and just defensively, he, he's he's not a good athlete, so he's not going to be this elite shot blocker like Okongwu or Wiseman will, but he'll, he'll wall guys up. He's strong. He's always in the right spot. Um, sure, sometimes guys will beat him off the dribble, but, you know, he'll learn from that and cut off their drive before or the, the next time down. So... I, I I'm not sure if he'll ever be a high end starter, but at the very least, I see him as you know a seven to ten year, you know. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May fifth. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Like, first guy off the bench contributing to, like, really good teams right away. And if, like, for some reason he fell like to Golden State in the second round, like whew. Um and that'd be that 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 I'd almost rather have them take him than uh than Wiseman early on. But I and I, I he's he's one of the few centers that I really like his fit in Minnesota too. Um yeah. Yeah. especially if he's coming off the bench and being that uh and you know, kind of being the for the center off the bench and t- kinda of taking over those uh Gordy Drang minutes from last year. Um, I, I think that could be a really nice kind of change of pace for their defensive looks. Yeah, and, and he's actually one of the guys that I don't really mind in a too big setup. Like, I, I don't think it'd be 
I don't like him as a guy playing 35 minutes a night next to Towns. No. But like I, I like you said, as a backup big who I think could play a few minutes with Towns here and there just because he's so smart defensively. And I, I'm not a big proponent of the two bigs in general. I know a lot of people are, and I understand uh, their viewpoint just because obviously we haven't seen the the one big system work yet at all. But I, I think Tillman is a guy who who does a lot of the things that that cover Towns' weaknesses, and if you could play them together for five, ten minutes a night, I think ultimately they would be a good five to ten minutes. Um, yeah. If you if you're playing them thirty minutes a night, I think that's you, you've overstretched your you know your limits a little bit there, and the defense can start to pick holes in that. But mm-hmm. if you throw it out there as a different look, um, that's something I'd really like to see. I just think that he he's an awesome player, Tillman. I, I completely agree with the upside call. I think. You're not you're not drafting him as James Wiseman. You're not drafting him as you know Poku or someone like right, that, where, right. you, where you're where you're hoping they they become double the player they are right now. And if they do, then they're a really good player. You're kind of just drafting him as what he is and just taking him for that and hoping that that adds three, four, five wins to your team next year. And and I think in the late first, early second, which is probably where he's going to go. Um, that's a good player. I think he might go late first, just because he Same. did commit. He did commit to go back to Michigan State, didn't he? And then he like decommitted a few days later. I'm pretty sure. And yeah, I think, I, I think he was pretty on the fence about yeah. it. So I think he must have got at least some positive feedback from yeah. agents and stuff that that teams would look at him in the late first round because I think he, teams were saying, you know, you're going to go in the 40s. Um, he probably would have just went back to Michigan State. But uh, I think if you're taking him anywhere outside of the 30s, then you're oh, doing yourself a value. Yeah, like if he, anywhere in the second round, he's probably going to... If he goes in the second round, I'd I'd wager that he's the best second round player next season. Unless oh, someone sure. someone like you know Desmond Bain or someone falls, which it seems unlikely to be now. But yeah, I, I think a late first round means he's going to go to a really good team. And if he, if he goes to a really good team... Where we're going to see him play valuable minutes in the playoffs and whatnot, and that's mm-hmm. going to be fun because he'll add value to a team like Boston, like I said, Golden State, like you said, uh, Denver. If Denver, if Denver replace Mason Plumlee with Xavier Tillman, like they're going to be better, one hundred percent. And e- um, even Milwaukee, if they, if they move off of Brook Lopez, and yeah, I, I I think he would be awesome in their system. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he's one of them guys where we we like him in Minnesota, but I don't think that uh, he definitely, obviously, is going to go one. He's he's no. too much of a, he's too much of a reach at seventeen. I still think just because uh, yeah. Minnesota probably needs to go a bit more of an upside play. Good. Uh, thir- thirty three maybe, but I, I still don't see them just taking yeah, it in, I, I, in, I in general. Yeah, I think he'll be gone, and even then, I I could see them going for like a a Jaden McDaniels or someone at 33. Like, I still think that they'll probably go for an upside play just because they, they need to. Like, with right. three picks, with three picks, they might go one safe, you know, quote-unquote safe pick. But I think, I wouldn't be surprised if they just go three big swings. Um, so, that kind of moves us on to the next guy. Um, and so, I don't know if this guy was three for you, Jalen Smith. No, he's five for me, and I have him as power forward, so he wouldn't have even made my initial list. But yeah, I, I, I think him as a center, just because I think if you're six foot ten, yeah, it makes you know, sense. Seven two wingspan, like 
all of 225 pounds. I just think that even if you can play the power forward pretty comfortably, that, that teams are just going to put you at the five because the league is trending smaller. Sure. Um, so give, give us the rundown on Smith from your perspective. Yes, yeah, so I have him at 39 overall. Um, I, I think he's one of these guys who, when you look at his numbers and you think about him in practice, like, in theory, he's awesome, and then you bring it back into reality, and you're like, eh, that, that's not quite living up to, to what I saw on paper. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I know I'm, I'm way more down on him than a lot of, you know, the, the draft community is. And I, I think Kevin O'Connor had him as almost a lottery pick. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I know some other people have him, you know, even creeping up towards 10, which I, I think is kind of absurd. Um, I, I get the appeal with his length. Um, I think he's a good rebounder. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a good shot blocker. I, I, I struggle to buy into his shot. Um, he, he showed some improvement between his freshman and sophomore year. But he, he's just one of these guys where I, I think, you know, you look at him, you're like 6'10", long, okay athlete. Uh, like the, he, he can shoot from outside. It's like, this is, this is sweet. And then I just... From from what I've seen over the last two years, he, he just really hasn't done it for me. He's just kind of been pretty underwhelming for me. So I could see him. Um, and he, he I could be way off. He this could be the one guy, or one of the guys in this draft that I'm just <laughs> way off on. Um, but just he, he's just been really underwhelming for me. Yeah, uh, well, I'm definitely higher on him while also being pretty cautious that that a lot of those things that you said are probably true like I don't think that I think you, you do sum it up perfectly where on paper he he's a way better player than than when you watch him and even when you when you look at the stats it's not just the height and the wingspan and, and the size that he has it's the stats are pretty good like I think he averaged 15 and 10 he shot 36 percent on threes at uh, 44 percent on unguarded catch and shoot attempts um and I think the stroke is quite nice looking. Yeah. It, 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 he gets it off fairly quickly for a guy of his size. So I, I, I like his shooting potential, but I also don't think it's anywhere near like a... It's not Killian Tilly and it's not, you know, Pogu yeah. type, type big man floor stretcher. But I do think he'll be able to shoot threes and, and kind of stretch the floor somewhat. I think you'll have to guard him from three, which is about all you can ask from a guy like that. Um, sure. The, the motor is something I really like as well. I think he runs the floor really well, or not being like James Wiseman, where he kind of can get up the floor quicker than some guards, but he he's always running the floor in fast breaks and cleaning up misses. Like, he, he kind of... He's not a lazy player at all, which I think no. is goes a long way for a big man, just to, to constantly be moving and to be running and to, to be going hard for 48 minutes or for as long as he's on the court. Um, I think outside the shooting... That that's kind of the only thing that that really stands out to me. Like he's not a great post player. He's he's pretty unpolished there. I think he ranked in the 60th percentile in post ups off the top of my head. I know he yeah, ranked. He, in... He's going he's going to get pushed around in the post. A yeah, lot. And, I, on both he, ends. He's a, he's a big guy, but not really. Uh, he doesn't have a great kind of center of balance, center of gravity, where he can really stonewall guys in the post, and then. He's just not a really good pick-and-roll finisher either. Uh, 49th percentile in pick-and-roll, roll man finishing. Um, that Those numbers sound about right to me 
from the film. Like he's an inconsistent finisher unless the lane isn't open for a, for a dunk. Um, I think improving that is extremely vital for him at the next level just because if he's a guy who can kind of shoot threes and, you know, get putbacks and get transition buckets, like that's not a very appealing offensive player. Um, it's kind of like a Miles Turner light, light. Like, yeah, I, I get a lot of Bruno Caboclo vibes of, of Bruno yeah. in, in Memphis. Um, and I, I think he has some of that pick and pop uh, potential. Um, I just, I and, he's, just... and he's much stronger than, than Caboclo, but it's that mm-hmm. very... It's and that, his like, upper body. Yeah, yeah. And I think some of it's more he looks stronger than, than what he actually is. But I, that's, I think that's why I have him as a center, just because I don't think he can move well enough to guard fours. Like I'm, I yeah. don't think he, he can move well enough to guard some fives, but I think you mitigate some of that those issues if you play him as a five. I mean, he, aver- he did average like the 2.4 blocks, um, and he can time one up at the rim when, when he's there, but I think he's got a pretty long way to go before he can be classified as a, as a good defender at the next level. Like he's flat-footed, slow-footed. Um, he's going to struggle mightily in, in hedges and, and switches. Um, I think he'd be someone who's probably fine as a drop scheme defender or, or someone you know someone who can kind of use his his long arms and, and his girth um, with players, with guards running at him. But if you're asking him to get out and move his feet at all, um, I think he's going to struggle pretty mightily. He, he's, his lateral movement and his movement capabilities in general are pretty disheartening for a guy who... Who, if, he, if that was you know ten twenty percent better, I think he'd be a really good player. But alas, it, it, it's not, and um, I think he's he's gonna be just a rotation player for for his career. And if he doesn't hit on a few things that he should hit on, then he might not even be that. Sure. Yeah, and I, and I I've, I've seen some people trying to compare him to like Serge Ibaka, and that that's just not the count for him and he he's not that type of athlete like he, he, young surge was an absolute freak Freakish. athlete yeah so. and so and so good laterally like surge can yeah. still move his feet as a pick and roll defender bark is still a really good you know feet yeah. mover. he's and, not gonna be that nah he, he to me he's i guess median outcome or maybe slightly above median outcome is a guy who can hit 35% on two or three threes a night. Like, he can hit, you know, one, one three a game a foyer, um, run in transition, put back dunks, the occasional pick and roll, you know, mm-hmm. finish. And then uh, a guy who can protect the rim in spurts as long as as long as long you're playing him in the right way and, and someone who's just going to get burnt on switches pretty consistently. So, like, what, what that player is, is, I guess, up for interpretation. You have him in the, in the mid-30s. I have him in the late 20s. Um, kind of 24, I think I have him at. So, again, not not a guy who fits overly well with Minnesota, but um, a guy I think I think you could see a team convincing themselves that he's going to be a stretch big, and and that probably is what gets him drafted. Yeah, and and if I from and the way everyone's talking, it doesn't sound like he'll be there at 33. But I even if they t- if they took a shot on him at 33, I wouldn't be upset with it by any means um and it'd be kind of an upside swing uh but you know a, a bit of stretch potential to come off the bench uh add some room protection um so i i i wouldn't hate it wouldn't love it but you know yeah it, it'd be it'd be fine i actually think he's not a bad comparison to nas reed like a guy who can mm-hmm. shoot threes but but not 
like Reed kind of thought you think of him as this floor stretching big, but he's never really shot that well from three. Um, he's he looks big, Nas looks big, but then they get overpowered pretty easily as well. Um, I think Nas is a much better passer, which which kind of um, mm-hmm. is one thing I'm high on with Reed is that that he had some really good games in that that post Towns injury stretch where he um, he hit guys on the short roll. I think there was the game against Chicago, if I'm not mistaken, which was a win. I reckon he had four or five short roll assists in that game, um, which is just something Smith's not going to do. I don't think, right. but no. but I I, I kind of see the, the comparison there, which makes it even more unlikely that they that they draft him because they kind of already have a version of that sitting behind Towns anyway. Right. Yeah. No. I, 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 I can definitely get that. Um. So your third your third guy would be Zeke Naji, yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, um, big big fan of the Zeke. Um, well, I'm, I guess we're kind of probably opposite to Smith mm-hmm. and Najee. I know I, I kind of talked myself out of Smith a little bit there, but but I do <laughs> still have I do still have him um, as a first round prospect. Um, Zeke, I'm kind of the opposite with. I kind of have him as a, a very late first rounder or, or an early second rounder. So convince me on, on what really stands out for you with with Najee, Minnesota native Zeke Najee. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I have Najee at 24 overall. Um, I, oh, so I just, literally the same spot that I have Smith. <laughs> okay, yeah, so so we flipped. Um, I, I I think he is one of the hardest workers on the court whenever he's on there. Um, I, you know, I, I think he was a victim of Arizona playing two seven-footers at the same time again, similar to DeAndre Ayton. And not similar players, similar situations where their coach is an idiot. Um, but I, his his motor is super high. Um, he, it's almost high. So a negative is he's. It almost looks like he kind of has ADD out on the court, just because he can be like a little spastic with his movements, and he's just so you know hyper reactive and active to everything. Um, so and he, he, he picks up unnecessary offensive fouls, um, and, you know, is, is a little too jump happy going at shot fakes, but controlled enough where he can recover and, you know, ha- has a quick second bounce. Um, I think he's an excellent rebounder, really good shot blocker. Um, I, I like his passing out of the post, um, and just, just his motor and, w- We've seen kind of some glimpses during the season of him having a decent jumper, um, and then you know we we've seen some of him in in an open gym uh, over the last week or so. But you know, take those with a grain of salt because no one's guarding him. But and if if he gets the occasional you know trail three or corner three, I think he'll be able to knock those down. You know, maybe one a game tops. He's not going to be spotting up out there, but his overall energy, um, just as like a rotation big coming off the bench, bringing that energy on defense, uh, on rebounding, um, I, I think is really appealing for a rotation. Um, and then, you know, as he develops, if that jumper actually develops into something legitimate, um, you know, I, that, then I think we're talking more of that Serge Ibaka vibe, or vibe, you know, not Serge. He won't, I don't think he'll ever reach that level. Serge was an excellent defender and all-around player, 
but kind of that mold of guy where he's this hyper-athletic big man who can step out and knock down jumpers. Yeah, I think for me that's the that's the tipping point is whether he can hit shots because he, he's just a guy I think I've struggled to come to terms on. And like you said, the Arizona system and playing so with... frustrating. And playing with two other, you know, first or potentially second round with Mannion kind of prospects. Like, it's not like he was the the focal point of the team, like like a Jalen Smith was able to be, or you know, like like a lot of like a Paul Reed or someone was able to be the, the guy who who got a lot of touches and, and he got enough. He still averaged 16, 17 points a game, and, and um, which was more than than either of those guys. But he did have to share his touches with guys who were trying to become first round picks to themselves. So. Um, yeah, he's just a guy I struggled to come to terms with. He's he obviously got really good size, reportedly at around like two thirty, two forty pounds, which which has come out the last few weeks. Which I'm not like I, I'm iffy on all of these reports that are coming right, out right. about the the yeah, draft no stuff. consistency. Yeah, and like people are bla- breaking records all over the place, and that just seems a bit strange. Yeah, like, go, go look at. Cassius Stanley's 44-inch vertical, which I think is legit, and then try and convince me. I dare you to convince me that Udoka Azubuke had a 41-inch vertical. I, I <laughs> yeah. do not believe it. I, I'm assuming he jumped off a diving board. Yeah, like if, if Azubuke has a 41-inch vertical, like his head might hit the roof right. in, the, it, in the stadium when he jumps. It's, like, it's not happening. It's not real. Yeah, so, yeah, and I think there's been a few, like some shuttle run you know, numbers that are like, way past the best ever. Um, yeah. And I think Zeke's one of the guys. I don't think he's 240 pounds. Like, that's a big guy. And as much as he is a big guy, like, he's also quite, not thin, but but he's kind of not that massive, heavy set guy. Like, I don't think he's built any bigger than, like, Tillman or, you know, um, even, like, a Kongu. Like, I think he's kind of around that 225 mark. Um I just he just doesn't really pop anywhere blatantly to me like like the motor stands out like you said I think he, he he's constantly moving and I said before that that high motor is really important to me for a big guy especially one that doesn't project to be a star or doesn't have any star level um, attributes so a, a guy who just constantly works that that really stands out for me and and I do think despite shooting uh, seventeen threes and, and making just five this year. That I think he will be able to shoot fairly well. He he he's got a nice little mid range game. Um, mm-hmm. I finished. I just last night I finished watching um, some Jaden McDaniel's film, and that was the last game that I watched. And he kind of um, killed them in, in the in that little mid range in the middle of the zone, which is obviously different to NBA defenses that he'll be um, facing. But it did give me another good look at that little uh, mid range jumper that he has. Uh, good free throw shooter as well. So. I do believe that he'll be able to hit threes, like you said, one a game, 33, 34%. Um, but outside of that, I, I, I don't know. I, I think he does a lot of things okay and nothing really at a high enough level for me to get yeah. excited about him. And and maybe that's enough. Maybe just being able to carve out like a good yet unspectacular career is should have him higher on my board just because there's probably a lot of guys that can't even do that in this draft. Um, but just as a big, as a, as a, in the position that's, you know, quote unquote dying out or, or getting easier to, to find replacement level players. Um, I don't 
I can't see myself spending a, a top 20 pick on, on Najee. I think anywhere after, like, you know, 20 is probably decent value. You get an all-right player. I just think if you're, if you're swinging for upside, he's he doesn't have that much to me. And I think he's not going to... He's not going to be a bad defender. I don't... But I don't think he'll be a good one either. I think he'll just be okay defensively that the mode is going to allow him to be... To do enough to, to stay on the court. And, and those long arms, I think, blocking less than a shot per game is a little worrisome to me. But considering the positions he gets himself in and how he defended pretty capably without, you know, being, being a huge shot blocker, then, then maybe that's not that big of a deal. So... Yeah, it's a, he's a tough one for me to get a read on. I just yeah, kind of, no, I, I don't, I don't dislike him, but I don't. He doesn't have enough upside for me to to really pop. And I guess that's kind of like what you said with Smith. I think we kind of yeah. flip there, flip there, where I think Smith probably has a little bit more upside as a shooter and as a a guy who can maybe block more shots, whereas Zeke probably has more upside to just do five things pretty well and, and keep himself on the court for fifteen minutes a night. Yeah, no, that, that that that's totally fair. And then with, with Smith, you know, for me, it might just be one of those things where I've just had overexposure to it or something. You know, I've yeah. just watched him too much over the last two years, and Zeke is, all, you know, he's something new and shiny. So it's like, oh, this is yeah. Let, 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 let's steer in this direction instead. So, and I, I don't think you're wrong, you know, in any of your things, um, in any of your points. I, I, I just kind of tend to. And his motor really puts him over the top for me. Um, and I just expect him to be able to kind of rein that in defensively a little bit where he's a little more disciplined. And then, you know, I, I think his jumper is good enough where he, he can knock down the occasional trail three or, you know, just spot up mid-range or corner three. So I yeah. he'll never he'll never be an elite shooter or anything like that. But just the occasional jumper, I think he'll be he'll, he'll be fine to, to knock down. Yeah, and that, and I think with the, with bigs these days, like especially in this class where there's so many who are kind of around the same level in that in that I guess like twenty to to forty range. Um, yeah, it's just kind of like it's just vibes. Like you just vibe with some guys, yeah. and you don't and you don't with other guys. And and for me, I don't really with Najee. For you, obviously, you do, and, and you can't really explain why. It's just more that um. That they're a guy who, who who jump out to you when you watch them, and like you said, I, I might even have a bit a bit of overexposure to Zeke just because I've watched all these games and focused on on Mannion. Then I've watched all these games again and focused on Green, and then I watch all these games again and focus on Najee. And it's like I feel like I've watched Arizona, you know, three hundred times this year, and maybe I'm just kind of um, I didn't really love watching them in general for a team that had three. First, you know, early second round draft prospects. So maybe that's just soured. Right. soured yeah, me a they, they bit. weren't um, a fun watch. Yeah, and that that and outside of green, I, I don't really yeah, like agreed. like any of them. So um, maybe it's just yeah, a, a little bit of Arizona that's that's weighed me down a little bit there. Um, so we will jump straight into your sleeper. Um, I haven't got any notes on your sleeper, so I'm just going to get you to. So trying to go through him with me. Obviously, I think I've watched him just because he plays for a big school, so it's hard not to watch him when you're watching other guys. But he's not someone who I've really sat down and focused on for for entire games and and whatnot. So tell me more about Nick Richards. Yeah, and so I have him 56 overall. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's just one of these athletic rim-running big men who just kind of goes undrafted and finds his way onto the 
end of the bench. Um, but I, I think he's a really impressive shot blocker, good rebounder, um, excellent rim runner. Um, and he was in the 98th percentile in overall points per possession. And that's because everything was a dunk. But, mm-hmm. and, you know, when, when he cut into that dunker spot, and his 98th percentile in cutting, uh, 99th percentile in transition, 89th is uh, the pick and roll roll man, uh, 99th percentile. Uh, finishing around the basket so I, I i think he's a really really quality interior finisher um i i, I l- like his defense I, I think he can step out a little more defensively too and has a little more to show on that end than kentucky allowed him not that he's going to be switching on guards or anything but you know that that he can be a little more proactive in the pick and roll um you know i i've, I've heard claims that he has a better jumper than he was allowed to show. I, I don't buy that. Um, I, I think he's pretty one-dimensional offensively as a good screener, good rim runner, um, good good with offensive putbacks and stuff like that. So, you know, he, I don't think he's going to be your franchise center by any means, but as a good rim protector, uh, you know, solid rim runner for, you know, five to ten minutes off the bench, I, I, I think that he could definitely be a, a pretty cheap um option at that at that spot yeah and, th- and those guys are limited around the, re- the league right like you right. especially if you're getting him in the in the 50s or in the 40s like if you're paying him virtually a minimum a vet minimum salary um mm-hmm. then that's when i think big guys start in the draft kind of start to become a bit more valuable because you're paying them at their market value from day dot and obviously they're under team control deals um but yeah, there's guys, there's rim running, um, rim protecting, screen setting bigs throughout the league, and I don't think they'll ever die out. Like, no, there's always there's always room for a guy who who just does those three things at a pretty high level, um, or at a high enough level to to stay on the court and not uh, tank an offense or tank your team defense. Um, and you know, sometimes they get paid like seventy million, like Bismack Biombo. So, <laughs> like, if he got seventy million. Money. Yeah, I'm sure Nick Richards can can survive on an NBA team and obviously still young, great pedigree at Kentucky. Um, so I, I, I've i seen some people not having him get drafted. I think he will get drafted. And it, even if it's just purely because he's from Kentucky and yeah. and, and guys are willing to, to risk a little bit more, uh, I guess, potential upside or, or risk that they haven't seen exactly what a player can do just because Kentucky has been known for that over the last few years or whatever so I, I like Richards he, he I, like I said he's not someone who I, I really pay attention to like I was kind of watching uh, Maxi or, or Hagen's when I yeah. was watching them so it's 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 one of them guys where I never walked away thinking like god how good's Nick Richards like sometimes you go to watch a certain player and you end up watching someone else like I went to ro- watch Robert Woodard and I end up watching Reggie Perry <laughs> like yeah. Because it's, it's, Reggie Perry is more fun to watch. Yeah, but and I don't think Richards is that guy. But I also didn't walk no, away no, from, no, no, thinking no. like, oh, like I wish Tyrese Maxey didn't have to play with Nick Richards. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. he, he's just, he just slides under the radar and gives you good minutes. And I think, um, I think that's that's good enough for for a team to draft and good enough to be someone who yeah gets ten fifteen minutes a night on a, on a you know any whether it's a bad team good team I think he could easily get minutes on any of them them teams yeah. and just get, and just give you. Uh, consistent production. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, so my one, uh, this this is by popular demand because I've had 
multiple people will ask um, me to talk to you about Paul Reed um, from DePaul. Uh, he, I don't think he's going to be a center at the next level. I think he's probably a power <laughs> forward. Um, and I don't even think he's considered a true sleeper at this stage just because I've seen a lot of people talking about him as someone who might you know, be like a late first or early second prospect, but, but someone who uh, a lot of teams with early second round picks seem to be pretty hyped about. Um, for me, he's an incredibly exciting prospect as a, as a, def- as a defender. An incredibly confusing prospect on offense. Um, starting with the confusing side of the ball, I'm I'm just not sure what Paul Reed is going to actually do. Like that adds value to an NBA team offensively. He's obviously six foot nine and seven two wingspan, so he's long. He's big. Um, he's one of them guys. I think he doesn't look six nine. He he looks a little bit bigger than that. Um, yeah. He's athletic as hell, which. Mm-hmm obviously helps him. I just don't... I don't think he's a good enough screener, catcher, or finisher to be a true pick-and-roll threat uh, on, a consist- on a consistent basis. Um, there's there's upside to be had with his shooting where, like, he shot 33% over his three years at DePaul, ranked in the 64th percentile in catch-and-shoots this past season, but the form is funky. Uh, I don't really trust that he's going to be a league-average shooter in the NBA. I mean, he only shot 30% this season and um, it was only on... 1.83s a game or something like that. So, uh, while I think, yeah, he, I think he can survive on length and athleticism, um, really good offensive rebounder, and and he'll run in transition because he, he's quite quick and, and willing to to run. Um, I'm pretty sure he isn't going to be a starter level offensive player anytime soon. And I think people kind of fall in love. I and I guess I'm, I'm referencing Timberwolves fans a bit more here. I think people <laughs> fall in lo- fall in love with with a certain player sometimes in, in the draft process and it seems to be him at 33 and I think if you're expecting him to be uh, a contributor offensively I think that obviously this is just my personal opinion like all of this is just our personal opinion but I just don't see him being a good offensive player and I struggle to even see the potential to be a guy who's who's ever good offensively I think he can get to like passable but he, he just does a lot of things offensively where I'm like that's not going to work in the NBA, like he's not going to post up, he's he's a bit out of control on his roles. He he can't seem to hit a screen very well. Um, so yeah, that he's confusing offensively. Um, and then defensively, I think it's fairly different. Like he's he's still a bit out of control and, and makes some some head scratching positional errors, for, especially for a guy who's you know a junior. Like normally those older statesmen are are, are a little bit more controlled and a little bit more reliable uh, defensively with their positioning just because they've, they've been around for a lot longer than, than the freshmen and the, and the sophomores on their teams and on, on other teams. But he's still... There's still tremendous upside, I think, defensively. Um, awesome shot blocker from the weak side and just awesome defensive playmaker in general. Um, his arms seem to grow a few extra inches on defense <laughs> and, and he just seems to have his hand on the ball in so many different situations and so many different times. I... I love the energy he plays with defensively, uh, even if sometimes it, it might have to be toned down just just a touch. Uh, I just I think that'll hold him in good stead as he as he learns NBA defending and NBA techniques. And I also think he's just an excellent rebounder, one of those guys who just has a real nose for the ball and seems to tower over guys with the, with his athleticism and his wingspan um, for for boards. And that's it's such an underrated 
part of finishing off a defensive possession. So many times last year with Minnesota, we saw them finally get a stop and, and finally put together a, a halfway decent defensive possession just to be out-rebounded and, and the, yeah. the teams get yeah, yeah. another 24 or another you know 14 on the shot clock or just get an easy put back. And they're deflating plays. And I, I think Reed could have, if he was to come to Minnesota, I think he would help that a lot um, because I think he's a really good rebounder. I think he'll make plays pretty consistently defensively. Um, he will have his moments where he's the average defensively, but I don't think it's I don't think he's one of them players who just makes defensive plays and then goes missing on defense. Like, I don't think he's kind of like a like Jaden McDaniels, like who I've referenced a few times in the last few podcasts, but that's because I've like got him in my brain because I've watched like <laughs> 30 games of Washington lately. Um, and I think McDaniels will like, you know, swap four shots into the rim and then lose his guy on the next play. Um, I don't think that... Uh, I think Reed's a better defender than that. I think he will turn out to be a very good defender. Um, and I think he, he I think he could be a... I think he will be told to play the five, really, because if he don't, doesn't shoot, I think that he's he's more of a five. But then, you know, you watch him at the pool and you think, like, that guy's a power forward. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I'm unsure. To, to summarise, I'm unsure on Paul Reed. <laughs> um, everyone wanted me to talk about him, and that's why I kind of hadn't yet, because I just don't know what I think about him. I think he can make plays defensively, and I don't like him at all offensively, and um, he's going to have real peaks and, and real valleys, and that's probably to be expected from someone likely to go in the second round. But, but yeah, they're my Paul Reed thoughts. Give me some Paul Reed thoughts to, to keep, the, <laughs> keep the people happy. Yeah, so I it's like two weeks ago I, I wrote for Canis Hoopers about Paul Reed to Minnesota, so go Google find that yeah, but if you want. Yeah. Um Yeah, he's frustrating, man. I he's <laughs> and I've seen some people want him at seventeen, which is just absurd to me. Um yeah. I have him at thirty six overall. I wanna like him. I wanna like him so badly. <laughs> and then he just he just does everything to make me not like him. Um yeah. I love his length, excellent rebounder, really good shot blocker. Um, but, I mean, he may have been the captain of, like, the bad body language team. I mean, yeah. He, he's, every, on there with, he's on there with McDaniels. Yeah, those two. and yeah. they're leading it. I mean, every game, every game, he two calls go against him, and, you know, he just takes himself out of the game. He gets visibly frustrated. Um, and, you know, it... Uh, I, I know that seems to vary for some pros- from one prospect to the other where, you know, it's like, oh, why is that competitiveness for this guy but immaturity for this guy? It's like, oh, because he's – because when he gets frustrated, he doesn't lock in. He spaces out. He stops trying. He throws the ball away. He gets sloppy with his ball security. Um, and I, I, I think you've summed it up really well. Um, defensively, I think he has the potential to be good if he's willing to really lock in and – be disciplined with his attitude and you know his reads because his length and shot blocking and athleticism is undeniable um and his tape is really impressive offensively i have no idea what he is um and his jumper is ugly and as as he starts it you know it's like oh that's a good looking jumper and then he gets to his release point and he has this weird hitch and you're like what the hell was that and you know he's just throwing up bricks and, and we've seen ugly. how much hitches can can hamper guys who shot fairly well in college. Like, not that 
I know Culver, you know, Jared Culver didn't shoot well in college, but he shot, like, mid-30s, you know. Uh, Mark Alfultz is obviously a freak story, but, like, yeah. like those hitches are not a good sign. Like, it's very rare that a guy with a hitch enters the league and can shoot whatsoever. Yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trust him at all as a shooter. I mean, he's 33rd percentile in catch and shoot. Um, you know, it's not good. And I, I don't know what his role is because... He's not that physical rim runner, um, and he's in the thirteenth percentile as the pick and roll roll man. That's that not good. Sense. Yeah, that that doesn't right. surprise me whatsoever. Like he just doesn't seem to function as a pick and roll player whatsoever. Right, and and he was a black hole at DePaul too. So he's, yeah. he's not he's not moving the ball like Tillman does, where he makes that extra pass. It's he gets the ball and he's looking to score. Um, so and around the rim, he was decent, I think. And he was a good length. He was a good athlete. Um, and you know, and he's really good in transition, seventy third percentile, um, and seventy ninth percentile around the basket. So I mean, he he was a good finisher around the rim. It's just in the NBA, I don't think he has the strength to consistently be around the rim, and he doesn't have the jumper to that defenses will have to respect because it's not good. So. I don't know. Even at 33 for the Timberwolves, I'd be hesitant about taking them because I, I don't think the attitude is there. Um, I don't think the offensive fit is there at all. I If they want to play five out, he, he's not playing in that system because he can't yeah. knock anything down. Um, and, I, he's I, not he, good, he, and he's not a good cutter, really. Like He doesn't move off no, the ball that much. No. He kinda, and, and maybe that's a function of playing at the pole where he was told to, to be the go-to scorer and kind of just waited around when he didn't have the ball. But yeah. but he's not that's not what you want from a guy that, that's going to come in and be a fifth option at best. Like, you need someone right. who's willing to move off the ball. Right, right. And, you know, they, they want to have ball movement. They want guys, you know, knocking down threes. We saw what having, you know, a, ro- a rotation of non-shooters did at the beginning of last year, and it was ugly <laughs> yeah. and painful and not fun to watch. Um, so... Defensively, he would absolutely help them. Um, great shot blocker. Um, I, you know, I even jumping passing lanes. Um, I, I think he's pretty good at forcing turnovers. Um, and he, he, he definitely seemed to take pride in being a good shot blocker. Um, and when he would turn guys away, he, he had a little attitude about it in, in a good way. Um, but just that, God, his visible frustration and, just mentally taking himself out of games just really bothers me when guys do that. Um, you know, if it's one game here and there because, you know, college refs are awful. I get it. Yeah. Whatever. It happens. You know, who knows what's going on off the court. But, you know, when it's happening, you know, every other game, it's like, come on, man. Like, you, you got to just toughen up here and, and play through it. But defensively, it's there. Athletically, it's there. Offensively, I don't see it. Yeah. So... Personally, I, I I would pass on him if I'm the Timberwolves because um, I just don't think he helps them in any substantial way, um, at least immediately, especially with that shot. So so I don't think we gave the people exactly what they wanted. I, <laughs> no, because no, I've, I've seen a lot of Paul Reed love, especially at 17, and I I, I, kind of, I did not go along with that there. So yeah, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry people. Yeah, I don't think he's a guy that, um, that I'll be thinking about when Timberwolves pass on him. Like, he's not a guy I'll, I'll be I'll be watching intently, thinking, God, I wish that the Timberwolves got this guy. So, 
Yeah, and uh, I'll, hey, I'll, I'll gladly be wrong if they take him, and he's yeah. a stud. I will gladly eat crow. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, ha- happy for these guys who I'm not into to prove me wrong. Well, that's it. I think that some people think that you know, with with every prospect that you don't like, that you, you don't want them to be good because because you yeah, want to be. I don't know these guys. It's not personal. Yeah, and you, and I don't care if I'm wrong. Like I'm just right. saying, I'm just saying what I see. Like if Obi Toppin is the best player in the draft, then like that's good for Obi Toppin. Like then that, yeah. that'll be awesome because I just want to see, I want to see every player hit their potential. But but at the end of the day, we need to rank these guys. We need to analyze them. We need to trust our own instincts, I guess, as someone who evaluates talent. And we're not perfect at it. And I don't think it's a perfect science for anyone. But um. We're doing our best, and I'm um, sorry if we, if we didn't meet your expectations for for Paul Reed. And I don't know if I can deal with Nas Reed and Paul Reed on the court at the same time. That's Oof. too many. That's too many reads, and it's not enough. Different spelling, so yeah. Um, all right, so so Jimmy, what's your list in order? Your right, six picks. So I, I I have Okongwu, uh third overall. Uh, or uh, Okongwu is my top center. Then Wiseman, Najee Tillman. Uh, Smith and then Richards. Yeah, so mine's uh, Conwu, Wiseman, Tillman, Smith, Najee, and Reed. And then if we're if you were the GM of the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are you taking in order? Uh, Okonwu, Tillman, Najee, Smith, Richards, Reed, Wiseman. <laughs> Wiseman last. Yeah. yeah. If he doesn't want to be in Minnesota, don't bother. Yeah, yeah, that makes no, sense. I, I, I just don't see the fit. I, yeah, talent-wise, I, yeah, and he he should be higher, but just he would never he would never play a minute. Um, yeah, it would it would be a draft, and then all right, where are we trading him? Okay. Yeah, well, I think that's why I had him third, and that's pretty much the reason because it's like yeah, at the end of the day, I, I think right. he I think he's got the highest um, potential, and, and maybe he's just a better asset than than Reed or Najee, so. Mine was a Kongwu, uh, Tillman second, Wiseman, Smith, Najee, Reed. So, um, yeah, I, I we'll move Wiseman up. And, uh, yeah, that makes yeah. I think at the end of the day, like we said, we, we've said throughout the whole podcast that, that none of these guys are likely to be in Minnesota. Um, maybe one of the later picks if they decide they kind of just need a little bit of security. At the five, you know, with pick thirty-three yeah. or, or, or something, um, but but don't bet on a Tongu or Wiseman being Timberwolves. I think um, I think a Tongu would be. I think a Tongu and Tillman would be the two guys that uh, I can see working somewhat in Minnesota. But but outside of that, it's it's not a great draft really for centers, and it's not a, no. a great team to to be drafting a center when he's the one. Can't think he's had probably the one sure thing on your on your team at the moment, and even he has question marks that, that seem to get bolder and and more pertinent right. every year. Right. Ah. Um. Yeah. But we'll leave it at that. I think so. So we're going to do. You're going to be on the the live draft call. I think podcast. Yep. Um. So that's obviously that'll be probably my next podcast. I think I'll just leave it until then. Um. We finally we got through all these, which is good, and hopefully we kind of gave. The listeners who aren't um, don't hate themselves enough to watch <laughs> uh, thirty Arizona games or you know Washington games that a bit of insight on, on, on the best players at each position in our opinion and uh, thanks heaps Tyler for for doing this with me and oh, man, um, 
you'll definitely be a regular on the podcast either way, even with, with non-draft stuff. I think I've got a pretty good system going with you, Jack, and Kyle. So, um, yeah, thanks again. And um, I'll see you and I'll see everyone else um, on draft night.